Welcome to episode number three of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. As usual, we are very keen on learning what you're saying about the show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. And now, here are our hosts. My name is Paul. My name is Christian. And my name is David. Today we are joined by CodeCop Peter, who is the, one of the idea bringer of this podcast. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Peter. And the, for, the, for our last episode, episode number two, we did receive uh, some nice feedback via the smileys that we have now on our homepage. Mm -hmm. Also, the questions about how to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite uh, newsreader. There is the link available on the SoundCloud page that provides it for the user. So you can subscribe via that one to get the newest episodes. Yeah, and, and uh, the comments from episode one are still not back on our website <laughs> yeah. so we lost them because we changed um, what, what did we change the, the URL scheme yeah exactly so we need to uh, I, we I can do a remapping I yeah think. somehow but it didn't work but we will ah, try okay. to bring them back so sorry okay. for that but hopefully in the next yeah. few days okay, cool. we'll fix this so apart from that we also had some nice discussions following up on our on our discussions on Twitter which is also fine to see that we can inspire some people getting new ideas from, from our half-knowledge that we are trying to move around. And based on that, we are now starting with our first topic by Paul. Okay. The first topic, we want to talk about behavior-driven development and the exact uh, heading that we chose was BDD, is it worth the effort? And I think it's a very interesting topic because I think um, the, the headline and the question we are asking in the headline is even saying something about the typical misconception people have with BDD, even when we talked about this headline. So let's um, give some background. Uh, what is BDD? I think the, the first wide and uh, well-known introduction to BDD is a blog post by Dan North. Uh, this blog post is, I think, from 2006, and here Dan North explains very, very easy to follow how he came up with this notion of behavior-driven development. He said when he was talking about uh, coaching test-driven development (TDD) to people, typically there are the the questions that come up. So, how do we start? Where? Uh, where do we get the next test case from? How do we name our test methods? And at that time, uh, it happened that he came around a tool called HL Docs, by, HL Docs by Chris Stevenson. And this tool made one very simple but very, very clever thing. It took the class names and the method names of the test classes, uh, predefined it, so put some spaces in between from Pascal case or camel case, snail casing to insert some spaces, so to get some really nice readable um, English sentence. And the structure in that way to have a simple indentation or a bullet list where you have the, the name of the class predefined and after, uh, under it the name of the methods in this class predefined and removing all the words test. So if you, for example, have a validator test class, then it would just say, okay, it's a, for example, consumer validator, and then all the test methods in it are named just without this test. And so you, what he observed just by looking at the output of this rather simple tool, he got a really good uh, overview of the, of the things, of the requirements even, of the software that was tested by this test. And so it completely changed uh, the the view on on the on the value that he got out of this test, and then he started to introducing a convention by starting all the method names in this test class with the word should because he said if you have this connection this direct connection to the name of the test class and it's 
for example, talking about the customer validator, to remain this example, uh, then everything that starts with should underneath just can be about this class and not about something else. So if you start getting weird feelings about introducing another test here, you probably should break out another concept out of this. When, when he looked at the outcome of this um, and some test breaks, then the question is always, why does a test break? It breaks because you have just a bug and you have to fix it, okay. It breaks maybe because the behavior, so the thing that the test describes is no longer valid. valid. And so if you write should, you enforce the, the thinking about the test case, uh, is it really still valid? Should it really behave as the test case is testing and now failing? Or is it, at the moment, uh, it, it, should it change? And so this gives more opportunity to reflect and to, and to think about the, the, the requirements that we have. And as long as you have then the, the behavior it's easy to think about what is the next behavior that is missing. What is the next behavior that I want to introduce, that I want to program? And so you're going in the direction thinking about what is the next most important business value that you would uh, would you support with your software, with the next feature of your soft software. And so this comes really nice together with th things that came up at that time, like the ubiquitous language from the domain-driven um, development sorry. space, uh, sorry, from the <laughs> domain-driven design uh, book from Eric Evans that was, I think, three years old at that time. And, and so he, he talked about now to come up with the idea if you have the behavior of the system, it also is reflecting the requirements of the system. So he started giving, thinking about a simple template to specify requirements. And this template is this now well-known given when then template. So he says, he proposed the template to say, okay, given there is some initial state, some initial context, when an event happens, something, something occurs, then I want to observe this and this behavior. And so this is the this is the pattern that is, is widely used in many, many situations and in many tools, I think. Yeah, and the last thing, and that's rather easy then, if you have this concept, is to make it executable. Mm -hmm. So that's done where you got into living documentation and stuff like this. So I, I guess to, to wrap up this introduction, someone said BDD is maybe just TDD done right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's of course, just half the half the way, but it's it's a good idea to think about it. But, but Paul, can you maybe give us a short um, summary of, of the, the wording? Because I think the wording here is always very difficult because people talk about BDD, they talk about acceptance-driven development, they talk about specification by example. Talk about double loop TDD. Yeah, something like this. What, yeah. What's the difference between those? Because I think there's some kind of difference when it comes to the direction how you how you tackle the problem from mm -hmm. which side, from, well, from inside out or from outside in. it easier. What's the essence that you define to be BDD? What's, what's the core of it? What's not negotiable? It's not negotiable to think about the business value. So what's the next thing that you want to have? So what's what the next single improvement that you want to add on your software? Look, uh, look from the outside from the point of the user, from the point of view of the user. That could also be in ATDD, as you said. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. uh, every technique so, you're using. Yeah. So many, many people say it's more or less all the same. So all the things like acceptance test-driven development, like agile testing, specification by example, behavior-driven development, all share the same core ideas and the same core principles, maybe defined by people coming from different backgrounds. So maybe that's the, the, the most important difference, I guess. But I think if you, and I read up this original post by Dan North and then looked up some writings from another guy that is very important for me, I think in this part of this, uh, Goiko Acic, and he coins the term, I think, specification by example, and what he says, it's, it's a more broader view. So 
when the SPDD introduction by the North was more driven by coming from TDD and changing yeah. things. So the specification by example thing is more broader. So starting from the goals that you have, the vision and going down until you can automate examples. And and Goico really has a nice pattern and and yeah. key aspects and key benefits that he talks about and process patterns that lead you through this process coming from the goals down to features and to executable specifications. That's also my feeling that PDD grounded from the developers, so they yeah. try to make more abstraction in, 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 in test naming and stuff like this and visualization, and ATDD comes from a product owner perspective, right? And somewhere yeah. in the middle they met, yeah. and I think this is somehow... This introduced a little bit of confusion in, in my experience. Maybe we also have to consider who, who used it in the beginning. It's like with TDD. So if a Kent back is using TDD, it's something different than if a, a junior developer tries doing TDD. Yeah, so but if then NOS uses a technique with a lot of background he already has, then it's totally different than if I start using it. Yeah, sure. But it's interesting, I read up uh, XP, what, what's, what's the exact name of the book by Kent Beck? It's uh, Extreme Programming Explained, I guess. Yes, it's yeah. yeah, okay. And, and I read it up rather late in my career when I did a lot of TDD at that time. And I really was surprised that I think what he was talking about basically meant all the things that we started yeah. reintroducing by exactly. coining the turn exactly. of PDD because he it, it was not so religious when he talked about TDD. It was very pragmatic and, and easy to use. And and his his advice was really, really nice. And if you think about all this this magic and religion and and, and things that is going around TDD, if you look up some people, uh, it really distracted from the from the real essence of it. So mm -hmm. think about what to do and how to benefit, the, uh, how to appreciate the user with the thing that you're trying that's to do. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. It's about adoption. Yeah, yeah. And then when it's get widely adopted, it needs rules, it needs trainings, it needs something mm -hmm. to follow, and then we end it's up formalized. In it's formalized. It's formalized. The first thing is the intentions yeah. of what you what you want to achieve by some aspiration in terms of okay, I, I've seen my landscape, I've seen whatever I want to solve, and I have this high idea. This is my vision. This is my intention. Mm -hmm. And then you have perhaps some initial followers that come, then say, okay, I see uh, I see what you're trying to solve, and I can try to adopt this. And then the larger masses come behind. Yeah. which I don't That's want right. or have yeah. to do this and then like Peter says they need some sort of, of training or training formalization uh, concrete but can we come back to this Kent Beck topic uh, because I think this is very interesting because in my opinion the goal of Kent Beck was also to achieve that the software is doing the right thing right Mm. with TDD. I so think his, uh, I'm sorry for contradicting yeah. I think his initial idea is to make his life less anxious Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah, to that's make the life more safe for developers. And he's he's keep he's still keeping saying that, and that's still his vision to make your life more safe. And a tool to make your life more safe is a suit of tests. Yeah, but I'm not sure if he really. Uh, I, that, think I think that's a good point I think uh, what the, the big advantage of TDD is that you avoid writing code and avoid overengineering and avoid. Um, building something which which nobody really needs right because you just write what you really need for for to fill, to, to make it a screen and i think that's a little bit the core idea behind all this tdd net not to have 100% um, code courage it's more that you really create code or really build what, what the user finally needs right and this is also the main idea behind pdd and also attd in my experience right So that, that's because that's really interesting. I think many developers think in that way that TDD is a vehicle to get good code courage. But I think that's not the core idea behind it, to be honest. I think the core idea was that you, as, as behavior-driven development, as the, as the North stated, to really think what should this thing do when it's finished. And to think upfront about this, right? To, to, to define what are the acceptance criteria for, for this part of code. And I think that's the core essence also behind TDD. And then when developers started to use it, they found out, okay, it's, it's good because we generate a lot of tests, we have a good safety net. And 
and it moved in this direction. I think the same happened with BDD. The same happened. BDD was a tool to really bring the business into the loop because you have some some kind of specification which then can be mapped to your code you're writing and you can really ensure that what you're writing is, is valuable from a business perspective, right? And developers started to use BDD just as a better visualization for their tests. And I think this is where BDD ma makes no sense. So you're saying it's a problem of adoption. Uh, yes, by exactly. being adopted, it will be washed out, and then the next exactly. thing will have to come up exactly. to bring exactly. back the focus on, of the, on the client and, exactly. and on what we need to build. And yeah. the, the, the focus of, of TDD and PDD and all, all this tool is, in my opinion, communication with, with, with what stakeholders really need from the software. Not to write readable tests and, and to make better test coverage. It's really that the developer thinks up front, what do I do here and why do I do it? That's, that's oh, yeah, so you, you two agree, in fact, that yeah, this is the, the essence of it. Yeah. But what's the cost of it then? Oh, because we said about, is it worth the effort? So what's the cost of doing that? Well, for what, I think the question should rather be, what's the cost of not doing it? And I don't say writing tests and giving when then, or using some fancy tool, but it's the cost of not thinking about what the user really wants to have or what the business needs from you as a development team. So then everybody is doing BDD? No, people that are just coding, not really thinking about and just saying, oh, my code would be, or my, my software would be so cool just if people wouldn't be so stupid and not understand how cool it is. And you hear it, you hear it. So yeah, and those people are don't doing it. So you think it's, it's faster feedback actually for the developers? For everybody. Faster feedback yeah. if, if the behavior, the implementing is right. Is the right thing that yeah. is needed, yeah? Okay. So that the, this, so this typical dipole that is always mentioned is TDD is about doing it right and BDD is about doing the right thing. So, is, But BDD cannot be done without Gherkin, right? In this definition. BDD can be yeah. done without Gherkin. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So is that? Mm. Uh, Gherk so Gherkin is just given when then yeah. for the... Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I want to say, sorry, yeah. I want to say something. Is this also related to the change in our industry from the person with thick glasses sitting in the basement surrounded by pizza boxes and hacking away yeah, in assembly so. to, to people that look at some, well this great, yeah, great yeah. developers, yeah. people looking at business, not really knowing how to code but knowing how to talk and being team mm -hmm. players and, and writing stuff and being like yeah. all this is. I think the whole HR movement is, is, is this about right. that? Yeah. It's about that developers understand what, what business really needs. Yeah, I think that's it's, the it's problem. It's enforcing of, communication, right? Of the HR movement because it leaves behind the code, right? And we know that. That's the idea there is a software mm -hmm. craftsmanship. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know how, how big the percentage of, of code is to make a product successful, right? So I think it's it's not mm. the real problem that people code too bad, they, they create too too less quality. I think uh, I'm quite sure that there are cases where this this is the case. <laughs> but I think on the other side it's more often the case where people write things which don't bring the benefit they expect, to be honest, right? Mm. So I think it's it's more like this and that's why they introduce all this stuff. So to, to enforce communication, to enforce that people understanding what, what is really the goal. So I, I always say a developer needs to understand the problem to solve it. That, that's my, my honest opinion, of right? Of course. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand it and if you just follow some, some requirements and, and code something down from a specification, I think then it's, it's the wrong approach. And I think BDD is a tool to help you to enforce this. Yeah. When we come back to our headline, is it worth the effort? What did we think about? And what is the effort? Yes. Well, in my case, or at least in my view, I don't um, see that much the, the, or I'm not that much hung up on the original intent of what, for instance, uh, you, David, say about what BDD should be or what TDD should be. I rather think about the different aspects and more connection points that either practices or technologies, if you will, give me. So be it now um, a better safety net for my, for my production code that I'm adding, or be it um, a short development cycle where I can start or I can focus on a, on a small thing. 
or various other aspects, for instance, more readable tests. Like mm -hmm. in, in our team, for instance, we also introduce this language down to the, our unit tests. So our unit tests ideally also just have three function calls. One is called given, one is called when, and then the third one then, and with mm -hmm. all the complexity hidden behind them. And these are various benefits that I see, and I'm not, I'm not that much hung up on in terms of, okay, I want to follow up this original idea. I rather see, okay, this is a practice, this is a technology, this is a tool that can give me various benefits on various interfaces or mm -hmm. various different endpoints. I think that's interesting because I also have the feeling when we talk about TDD, if people are discussing what is the second um, D saying, is it development or is it design? And so some people are on that bandwagon to say, if you say it's test-driven development, you're missing the point because it's just about test-driven design because we're designing and, and I'm not developing and not, that's not the point. And I think, yeah, no, that's also the point. Of course, I'm developing and I'm designing at the same time. Okay, that's fine. And it's really very helpful and I like thinking about the test first. Isn't, and so isn't design a part of development? Sure, sure, sure. And, and, and so I... I like to see, okay, we have several aspects of using a tool or, a, or an approach to doing something. And if I use given when then on a very different level that it maybe was intended up front, it's completely fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think so too, yeah. yeah. But one, one more thing I would like to raise is really this acceptance-driven development where it comes down to the scenario where you say, okay, the product owners define the, the specification in, for example, Gherkin, And you can test if, if what you're writing currently fulfills the acceptance yeah, criteria, right? I, I want to see the, the one that has seen a product that's, on that's the writing working. Okay, <laughs> so I would really like to be interested because this is what ATDD is in my experience, uh, in, in my world. This is what this says that the acceptance criteria are written down in a form that we can automatically test them, right? Or that we can test them. And I would also be interested if somebody already had experience where this really worked, mm. because this is this is not possible yeah, as far as I experienced yeah. it. And yeah, okay. yeah. As a, as a final note, I, I would think it's it is a vehicle where you can go to everybody in the room in the project and talk about it, and that's the benefit. I think it doesn't. Mean yeah, but that's that the benefit of Kirkin, right? That's not the benefit of BDD really. That's the benefit of, of introducing a language where you define your, your acceptance criteria so that everybody can read it and then you can automate it. Yeah, that's the important point. You yeah. can automate it. It's not a word document. Exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's really basically code. But these are two totally different things, right? The one which is this um, Gherkin, which brings you the possibility to have a, a single source of truth and everybody can talk about it. Yeah. And then this BDD, TDD development approach, right? And this is it, this it, is the struggle in my head always when yeah. I when I talk about this, yeah. right? Because the one is a, a tool for, for developers mm -hmm. to, to, to create I don't know more tests or even to create um, code which, which fulfills the right behavior. And then there is this single source of truth thing about requirements and Gherkin and all this stuff. And people always call all this BDD, right? Yeah, and so it's so hard to discuss about it. As always, with, with every notion and concept, if yeah. you come together with concrete people, you have to concretely work out what are we talking about when we yeah. say X. And so yeah. it's the same thing here with BDD. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that was it for the first topic. We, uh, I think, touched just the surface, scratched the surface of it. Maybe we have some other episodes where we can go deeper in some aspects of it. But I think it's an interesting and very relevant topic. For sure. So it's this time, I guess, right? Okay, this time. Um, I may kick it off because it's... For sure, for sure. This time you can kick it off. Yeah, this time. <laughs> Last time I could not contribute anything. This time I'll kick it off. Because there is one topic that is completely well aligned to our first topic because there is one tool in the .NET area that is, I would say, the, the most relevant tool for doing Gherkin-style testing. It's called SpecFlow. It's an open-source tool. And yesterday, so, yeah, thank you. And on <laughs> September the 10th, <laughs> SpecFlow got exactly <laughs> nine years old. So, time to celebrate. Wow, cool. Look it up, yeah. So, it was... 
It was initially created by Gashban Najee as far as yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. So do you know the story behind it? How was it created? Was it a, a, a side yeah. project or had he a need in, a, in another project to, to come up with a solution? As far as, as I know the story, at that time something about Gherkin and stuff was around. There was even JBehave at that time, the tool that Dan North initially wrote. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was all flying around and I think there was some NBehave port to the .NET world, but that wasn't really that interesting, I, th I think. And so Gashba at that time just started in one night hacking around and seeing how far he could come and and then this whole thing around the Specflow tool uh, really went big. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, what's your this time contribution, Peter? Yeah, your turn. thank you. So, I want to bring your attention to the Global Day of Code Retreat, which will be again this year, and uh, this year it will be on 17th of November, as far as my calendar tells me. So, this is a great opportunity to spend a Saturday uh, with like-minded developers and uh, hack away using BDD or not, we'll see uh, what sessions we will make up. So that's uh, all. I really like uh, the Global Day of Codetreat because it has uh, guaranteed only enthusiastic people. Yeah, that's be right. Because that's it's a Saturday, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a, a and it's starting like uh, before <laughs> nine in the morning on a Saturday. So I guarantee again that it will only be uh, most interesting and enthusiastic people. So What are you doing on a Codetreat? What are you doing on a Codetreat? You are... Um, solving the same exercise again and again, and it's to practice and stretch yourself. So um, so there will be one in Vienna, obviously, but there will also be around the world. I don't know how the current uh, situation is, but usually there are around uh, like 150 to 200 cities, I guess, right? Do you mm -hmm. know the, the details? Uh, it sounds like this, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, participating, and it's also... Uh, I'm losing uh, your questions. Are you satisfied with my answer? Perfect, thank you. I, I think it's <laughs> worth adding that this time we have uh, J.B. Rainsberger <laughs> as the facilitator here in Vienna. In Vienna, yeah, that yeah. will be uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah, that's cool. So are there free spots for this? I guess, I guess yeah. Okay. I guess. Well, they uh, are very limited as far as I understood, right? Just 20 people or something yeah, like this? 25 people. Well, yeah, there's always a space because it's a Saturday, so there's... Uh, it's never, was it booked out last year? No, it wasn't. I think so. Oh, yeah. I think so. At the end it was, yeah. So where can you book for Vienna? Event Pride, I guess. So it's on Event Pride. Yeah, you can find it on the on the Global Day of Code Retreat website. It's what is it? Uh, CodeRetreat.org, I guess. Let's look it up. Oh, 19 are uh, still available. So okay. So it's just on three people who registered so far. <laughs> well, I, <didn't laughs> I, I guess we have 25 <laughs> because places. I'm, okay. uh, I'm uh, supporting the facilitator. But yeah. Okay. So I hope to see you there. Yeah, for sure. Cool, so it's my turn at this time. Um, I have a few things, but I think the most interesting one is a rather old topic. I was I, I tried to, to, to follow the Pomodoro um, technique for a few years already, and I, I still see a lot of developers who don't know about this one, and I think it's it's really interesting. Um, this, this, do you know it in the mm -hmm. round? Yeah. So this red tomato. Yeah, explain it. A so bit. it's about 25 minutes working and then five minutes break. And then if you do it more often, I think it's 15 minutes break somewhere. And I always follow the app, so I don't know the, the real circulars. But it's it's really cool because what I realize and the the, the more I work in projects, the, the, often, the more often I realize what, what really makes you efficient as a developer is that you can keep focus on something, right? It's nothing harder than having a full day of meetings and having half an hour between them to, to write some code and then maybe having to, to answer some questions and this really kills you. This, mm -hmm. this, this makes you somehow sad in the evening when you go home. <laughs> 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 and, and this is really a cool technique and I, I, I read up a little bit about it and uh, I also try to, 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 to do it more, more often again, even if it's not easy, but I, I try to, to get this body light again, right? Mm -hmm. Where you say, okay, now it's red, now you're doing your Pomodoro. And I found out that if you do, I don't know, four Pomodoros a day, for example, it's, it's, it really is an enormous boost mm -hmm. in, 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 
in comparison than not doing it mm. because you you have this, this this cool thing of of getting up after 25 minutes standing up grabbing a coffee rethinking what you've done mm. and and you also avoid going into the wrong direction mm. too long so this is this is the, the second big benefit uh, I see and as mentioned there are lots of apps I think at least for the iPhone there are about 12 or something like this you can just choose the one with the, with the most beautiful icon <laughs> and I, I made really good experience as mentioned I, I did it I think five years ago I really did it very often then I just skipped it and I started to do it for, for the last three or four months again oh. And it turned out to really make me make me happy. Are you strict about making a break? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's that's the that, hard part, isn't that's it? That's the hard part, right? Yeah. That's the hard part yeah. because if you really focus twenty five minutes and you realize how how less twenty five minutes are and, and how how valuable time is, right? <laughs> if you go four pomodoros in the wrong direction uh, and you remove everything, it's really it's really painful. Yeah. So it's it's cool. Do you know it, Peter? Uh, I can recommend to you the Pomodroido application on Android. Pomodroido. Yeah, because it's a, no, again, the Pomodroido, because okay. it has achievements. And on my ah. last phone, I was already Pomodoro Commander, which is really awesome. <laughs> but now on the new phone, I'm, I'm only like a journeyman. Pomodoro Nudlog. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's really amazing. <laughs> so I, I also think that a few people are using it, but still uh, some developers don't know it. And I, I think uh, like uh, time management techniques would be a topic for later discussion. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So thank you, David, uh, especially for this uh, really interesting idea with the Pomodoro. That's where we immediately can tie in our, our second topic, because like time management is not in the core of software development. Right, mm -hmm. and and also um, that it's more like a general technique, and and the question is, in your career, would would it be better to be like a, a, a generalist or a specialist? And then we always have this tension in in IT. Is I'm am I a React developer and I know everything of React, or am I a JavaScript developer, or am I a front end developer? I'm just a full stack developer. It's all passwords. So. But that's the question, and. Also, while we were talking about BDD, I was thinking the discussion of test-driven development and test-driven design shows this, that with more people in, in IT, we have a, a more diverse uh, like uh, specialization. Design is not development anymore. Getting requirements is not developing anymore. Testing is not developing anymore. Everything is like split up, so we have more specializations. So how does that work with generalists? Can you be a generalist still? Yeah, that's well, are you automatically a specialist, but you don't even know about? You think you're a generalist, but you have no idea from networking or security. Yeah, or yeah. So that's. So what do you think? Can, can, can there be generalists at all? I don't know. I found the introduction very good because you said a, a few very interesting things. So, for example, as a developer, you're not part of requirements engineering. You're not part of UX. Is it really the case? Should it be like this? I mean, you're, you're not able to be skilled, for example, maybe in doing Photoshop and then doing the, the HTML and, 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 and CSS and, and also maybe the backend services. I don't know, but this would be the ideal world for me, to be honest, right? So that you really can go full stack from, from, from end to end. But is it realistic to be good in all the stages? But... But shouldn't it be not very glued together, to be honest? Well, shouldn't the UX... Yeah, but does it have to be a single person having all these specialists in... Well, in for this question, can it be one person? Then I would direct... Uh, and I will point directly to the indie development where you have one or perhaps exactly. two people teams that provide a full media experience and a game, a video game that has audio, sound... Exactly. That all exactly. is done but in the background with some coding. Yeah, but can, it, I can see that. Is it commercial? Yeah. Are they doing it in their free time and then selling what they did in their free time? No, the, the indie development are also viable full, full time. Of course, it's viable, viable but, uh, but uh, is it like more like a hobby project that becomes larger? And and yeah, but the, the question is a little bit does it make the product better, right, if you do this? 
Das du also, and, and the other part is, does it scale to uh, enterprise world level where you, need, where you need so many tons of software and where are all these crazy and, and genius guys that are able to do all this thing full stack in a good manner? It could connect back with our previous uh, episode topic, the, the complexity. If the domain is very complex, I would guess, it would also be difficult for a, for a single person or a small team to capture the whole complexity of the domain. So you would have to somehow specialize in terms of I'm only, I'm, I as a single person or we as a small team are focusing just on that aspect of the whole thing. But whatever this that, aspect yeah. uncovers, be it now also the requirements, development and whatnot. Mm. But this goes a little bit too much into cross-functionality. I think now that the question was more about The individual. Exactly, yeah. Because as a team, for sure, you can you can make cross-functional teams which can really do the end-to-end -end development. Or you could say, but but more from a career perspective, what do you think is better to, to focus on one thing very, very good to say, okay, I know, I don't know. I, don't, I know every internal stuff about React, for example, or is it better to say, okay, I know React, I know Angular, I know FuJS, I know maybe, for example, even Spring Boot, and I know some, some, some .NET frameworks and some Ruby frameworks, and I can say I, I can do all these things. And I, 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 of course, I need to maybe read some, something up front again if I want to do something, or is it better to say, okay, I can do Java E or Jakarta E, And I know it by heart, right? Is, it, is this then a question of what is your focus, what is your context that you're asking? Are you asking for software development as a whole? Are you asking for web development frameworks? Are you asking for... There is it again. Yeah. What again? The specialization. Yeah, exactly. Versus generalization. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. So it's if, unavoidable, maybe. If you, if you, if you um, span up the context of what are you exactly looking for, just a specific part of whatever the huge thing is, or are you thinking about the whole I don't know, software development? Are you, can a single person be um, good or acceptable for, I don't know, from the lowest part of, I don't know, an I.O. driver from a network card up to, I don't know... Lambda. Cloud. If, for instance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so for sure, for sure. The, the I, was, I, was, I was preparing this topic. I saw the bit uh, about there was a saying that Leonardo da Vinci was the last general yeah, uh, scientist, yeah. right? And I think we're also beyond that. So there is no maybe uh, 30 years in the past there was like a general developer that was still doing requirement analysis. Then he coded, then he tested, mm -hmm. then he uh, did the operations, but not anymore, and especially not with new people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's no way that uh, the new people are will be very, very uh, specially trained because of the lack of time. Mm. Mm. And because of all the abstractions we have. Which makes it even more difficult to understand what's, what's, uh, yeah. what's yeah. there. Uh, interesting. So I, I, like, I really like this, this idea of the T-shaped person. Yeah. 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 You know, you have a, broad a very basic understanding of a broad range of topics. And there is this one trunk where you really go deep into into some idea. And I think, of course, a, a really nice, beautiful tea would be completely bad because that would mean you just know a single thing really good and everything is completely unusable. Uh, so for me, it's the idea of the, the, the winter image. So you have all this ice coming down and some, some is longer some is not so long and some is growing and some is melting away because you are focusing on other things but that's like the, the, wish, the wish image of, of hiring managers which in end you like have almost everything like you, have, you have everything a generalist and on every important topic you're almost a specialist so that's you're a joke yeah, yeah, that's, that's a joke yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. not happening expert by definition yeah Yeah, that's But should, you, should you strive for this? Should you, should you try no, I to, to I, I go into, into, the, into this tea or should you focus I think it's on, a very on one thing? It's very personal. Maybe, maybe. Sure. Yeah. It's, if, it's if, contextual. If you like details and if you like to know. So I, I really like details and I went very deep on Java. Not even EE, only Java. I have no idea of Spring Boot, but only Java. And, and so, uh, until the point where it gets boring. But if you like to know everything a little bit, yeah. Why not? So, so I don't know. I wouldn't see a recommendation. I think it's easier when you're junior to go in one area mm. deeper because mm -hmm. then at least you can deliver in this area. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to yeah, keep to keep uh, open to grow other 
trunks on yeah. your T. And I think that's the important part. Because now you are fine with Java, maybe, or someone is fine with Java, and it's completely fine. But if you go into another area, moving a little bit in your role, maybe you need some more UX and stuff like so this and operations. So you have to be open to, to grow it. You mean the T can only evolve given time? Yeah. If yeah. at all? And, uh, and yeah. I guess there is also a certain limit where... If you want to specialize even more, it would take up so much time that you don't that you can't spend then on broadening your horizon. So if you if you want to get very very detailed on a specific topic, like I don't know C and going deep down into compiler specifics and templates and whatnot, and be the expert on C for instance, I doubt that you have the typical person would have that much more in the spare time to also train on or specialize equally deeply in other topics then perhaps. Sure. Yeah. So I guess specializing in terms of you know an area to a certain degree that you can for instance also aid others and then you can brought up uh, brought it up into different topics or you can go even more deeper and become the referring person itself for I don't know driving the, the topic itself mm. forward. Yeah, you know, like a single uh, person on the planet like this uh, garbage collection guru uh, Kirk mm, Pepperdine yeah. right? so he's he's went all the way with garbage collection yeah. and now he you call him if you have a problem I think in, in between it's dangerous if you're not on the, on the, the like everybody calls level But you're uh, also deeper than most of, of the others. Maybe it's not paying off. Mm. So, what do you think? Did you did you I mean that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I just thought very often that it's dangerous to be too specific. To be honest, to the Because I had a, a guy in a, in a, in a team um, who, who who didn't want to use screen data um, because he was a JDBC expert, right? <laughs> Because he knew everything about this stuff, right? And so he didn't move to, to new technologies because he said, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm very good in this and I, I don't want to see or learn anything oh, else, okay. right? Yeah, I so like I, I also think that it makes you a little <coughs> bit, it, it's dangerous because you, you, for example, if, you, if you're an expert in, 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 in Java only, for example, you restrict yourself. To some kind of technology and not project. necessary. Not the ecosystem is very large. Yeah, so for you sure. Would, you would survive. It's okay. But let's say you 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 are .NET, right? Uh, the, the ecosystem is not that large anymore. It's still large, but it's not that large anymore. But you restrict yourself to just work in in, in the .NET world. Or let's say Python. It's even even smaller, right? Isn't this dangerous if you say, okay, you did 10 years of Python? And, and all you can, more or less, is, is Python. Well, it's it, dangerous just if you are not really open to learn other things, if you have the necessity. I wouldn't classify it as dangerous in, in most of these <coughs> cases. It's from first, first of all, it's, it's like having a bet. I'm, I'm betting that whatever I'm choosing to specialize in will be relevant even in, I don't know, 20, 30 times, uh, uh, 20, 30 years from now on where I'm just getting paid the high money because I'm one of the few ones that are still knowing about yeah. it. And so there is hardly any technology that is simply, well, there's still enough technology that is gone simply by being becoming obsolete. But the, yet the example that you brought for, for the languages, for instance, being Java now or Python, there is tons of software out there in, in either of these languages, for instance, that will need some sort of maintenance in the future. Yeah, but do you want to do this, right? So you you, you respect yourself to, to work in maintenance. If you, you if you already chose to, I want to be the specialist in this, then you already said, okay, I'm, I'm good in that. But you can always change anyway. But maybe yeah, you mean that by by it's the danger that if you have like a closed closed attitude, like for yeah. 16 years I was entirely focusing on Java, and now I have no idea what's in Java 9. So I just lost contact completely, which is a risk. And maybe it's also dangerous, but on the other hand, it's what happened. Mm. So I don't know. Do you do? You, do, you, do you feel? I don't do know. Do you feel like in a cage when you would restrict yourself to a single language? I, I think so. Yeah, I really think so. So it's a personal thing. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I need to know, and I, I think it's so interesting to get to know all these other concepts and other ideas. And, and then you find out, okay, they try to solve the same problem with, with different ideas or maybe even same ideas, even if it's completely different technologies. I, I don't know. But it, I think it's really... Have you always thing. been like that? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because I have this theory again that it's connected to seniority. So you're doing one thing, and I guess it was C sharp for you, and you do it do it for some time, and you and you go deep, and then after then you're like bored, and then what what else is there? Ah, function programming, cool. Ah, I can do whatever. Let's let's look at React. Ah, cool, new concept, cool. Mm, maybe 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 it's right. Yeah, maybe you need as you mentioned earlier. This was very interesting about this junior, so that it's it's good if you focus on something very deep when you're more not that experienced. And, and you can deliver as you as you as you phrased it, and then when you get bored about it, you will do it anyway, right? So I think, as you mentioned, you you did it also, as far as understood. Right? Not focused. everybody does that expanding, but with every healthy person. But should you do it? That, that's the question. Well, that's out of the question. You need to. Doesn't need matter. To. Doesn't matter where you go. You can go more deep, or you can go broad. But you have to do something. Well, that's another topic for next time, right? It's about do we need to learn or is it okay to know what you know? And what would you want in your team? As uh, in the team, well, that's a different thing, right? Mm. Well, some, uh, some, like now you have uh, such a small problem that you solve it by, let's solve by just one person or a team person. So what, is it a mixture? Is it, uh, what would you want to cover? Let, let, maybe let's phrase it like this also for the audience uh, because I think many many juniors thinking about since there was also this blog post I think by Hazelman I think he, he, he wrote about this a few years ago and many people are still referring to this so what, what would you suggest uh, a guy who starts developing now should he focus on, on one thing very specific or should he get a broader overview let, let's, let's make it concrete He wants to do, for example, some 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 web development. Should he focus on, on React fully, or should he focus on all the web development frameworks which are available? What do you what do you expect him or her? I don't know. Frankly, yeah. if you ask me that, I was at the podium uh, like a discussion some years ago, and the question was: Go in depth or in test? And as I was working, <laughs> I was working with legacy code all the time. I cannot recommend neither dev nor test. Do something <laughs> else. Become a gardener. I don't know. That's not fun. Yeah. So, okay. So, what do you think, Paul? What would you recommend? I, I think what you don't want to have is is some in the team is someone is someone that is like as you depicted it. So someone that is good in anything and doesn't want to look left or right. Because in a team you need someone that is able to change his focus, to learn new things. Because it's needed. Everyone, not only the team. Yeah, but like especially in a team, because the question before was what what team members would we like to have. And regarding the question what what one should start, I think get anything that gets you going gets you money gets you interested gets you excited about and do it and like it and, and make some something that is amazing for you so the answer would be just do what you think is yeah. better or what you like more right? yeah. if you're interested yeah. in all the stuff take a look at it all And if you just say, yeah. okay, I want to know this. Yeah, and then hook to into this, something that's... Because yeah. learning is so much easier when it's exciting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Then it's not... It's not yeah. Then you can spend these extra hours yeah. that you, yeah. you manage. And get the real problem to solve that you care about if, if it's not really the work. And if it's work, get a work that you care about, you can care about. So actually this, this, this question, when a, a junior would ask this question, it's not answerable by us. Well, as I said, I would say at the very beginning, I would focus on one thing that's that's like established, mm. Java or even Python or Rails or something that's established where you can earn some money and be safe. Yeah. And then do what excites you. Yeah. Mm. I like this. Yeah. So to discover the whole topic. Yeah, I would say so. Well, I several <laughs> answers. Uh, maybe it's not decidable. Mm. And it's, uh, I would say, for some people, it's also very personal for some people. Right. So, uh, do you feel good in, in, in details? Do you want to know? Or do you feel safe when you have an overview? And, and also, depending where you are in your career, like are you a junior, is different than when you, because you can afford it, right? 
And now it's even fashionable to look at functional programming, so let's just mm -hmm. look at it. So it's what about those people? Maybe sometimes you, you have the feeling you met someone that knows everything. If you have a really tough problem, go to this one, to this person and ask him or her and you probably will get a good answer or a hint into the right direction. What about those people? Everything, everything? What is everything? Is it, yeah, now is, it, is it just the, the happy match of the things that you typically need and this person can give you input and answer it? Or uh, is there another, another thing that this person is able to do with the knowledge he or her, her she I, has. I think it's about abstracting stuff, right? Mm. That's that's I think that's one of the of the, the good things you get if you took a look at, at more things, more different things, you start to abstract that's what I meant earlier, you start to abstract concepts and, mm. and see it again and again and again and I think that's that's maybe one of the, the, the real skills they have, right? They they hear a problem, they saw this problem somewhere else, maybe in a completely different domain and technology, mm -hmm. but they and understood find the common concepts. Exactly, yeah. they understood how it was solved. Uh, uh, beside mm -hmm. the technology, it's like things like system thinking. Again, it's it's a general generalist. Uh, so it's a know to see a skill of a generalist, right? But that would say again be a generalist. No time management, no system thinking, no drawing or how to make music I don't know. maybe to yeah. conclude this so I used to be a specialist and I hated all generalists because as you said in the beginning do I know this and this and this and I was flinching because you cannot use the word no because you do not know because you didn't go all to the bottom so but now I'm a generalist myself so it's <laughs> always lost <laughs> so you, you hate yourself now <laughs> <laughs> anyway <yeah. laughs> So thank you Peter for being here with us now for this recording and we are now again waiting for your new dear audience comments and feedback. You've got it on Twitter, you've got it via our homepage and of course wherever you find us in person as well. Thank you for, for your time and see you and hear you next time. Bye. Bye.